Hi folks, welcome to episode 4 of Ecolution, and today we're going to get wet. Oh man, it's too early in the show to be drenched. Now I'll have to get changed. Ugh. Well, as I sit here dripping into the microphone, I better get the show on the road, or into the sea. Today, we're learning all about farming, but maybe not as you know it. There's not a cow, sheep, or a field in sight. We're heading to Gwaelskull na Glocalia to learn about farming underwater. We met Anya and Amy from the Ark. They drive a mobile classroom all around the country to teach kids about aquaculture. That's farming of fish and sea plants under the water. And no, it doesn't involve giving scuba gear to chickens. That would just be completely silly. Hi, my name is Anya O'Donnell. I'm a qualified nutritionist and I'd like to welcome you to the ARC. The ARC stands for the Aquaculture Remote Classroom. We are exactly what we say on the tin. We are a classroom on wheels and we travel all around Ireland teaching young people about the farming of plants and animals in the water. This is entirely free for primary schools. This is a part of a European-wide campaign, hashtag farmed in the EU, and the sole aim is to raise awareness about aquaculture. People see cows, sheep, crops in the field, but they don't see what's going on in the sea and how useful the sea is to Ireland. My name is Amy Garrity. I'm one of the ARC pilots. I deliver the aquaculture and marine biology part of the course. What we do in most schools, we hope to raise awareness about aquaculture, which is the main aim of the project, and also get a few interesting questions as well. Would you like to explain what aquaculture is? Simply, aquaculture is farming plants and animals in the water. We have a great history of farming on the land in Ireland and now a great history of aquaculture. Farming is just making something produce more than it does naturally in the wild, so you can cultivate something. You cultivate your salmon, your oysters and your mussels and you know where they are and you can know what they eat as well. And it's also a way of producing seafood all year round. Yeah. Salmon, Wild salmon can only be found in the summer months and if we were to rely on our omega-3 and our vitamin D only coming from the summer months, we would really see deficiencies coming through in our children. And 88% of Irish people are deficient in vitamin D. It is a non-essential vitamin because you can get it from the sunlight, but unfortunately Ireland and Irish mammies, between our lack of sunshine and sunblock, that they aren't getting their vitamin D from the sunlight. And there are very few sources that provide vitamin D and oily fish, including salmon, it can provide between 50 and 200% of that vitamin D. Vitamin D is really important because it helps us absorb and use calcium and omega-3 and it gives our brains and bodies a real boost. That's why fish is known as brain food, a good go-to before those pesky Christmas tests. So we know fish is good for us as part of a balanced diet. But what does sustainability mean in aquaculture? Sustainability is just using things today so they'll be able to be used in the future. And so aquaculture can help with seafood sustainability in that sense. We're trying to encourage consumers to read their labels and to look at the small print and be like, if it's farmed, is it from Ireland? Because often we're going into the supermarket and we're just seeing, we're looking at products by appearances or stuff like that. And they might be from Norway or Turkey. But if, we just, if they just spend six seconds longer they might find the products that are from Ireland. And that is really then going to reduce the air miles, reduce the carbon footprint. We know that recycling is a big part of living a sustainable life. I asked Anya what can be recycled on a fish farm. The shells can be used for dog treats, they can be used for buttons, they can be used to make roads. The waste produced from all the finfish aquaculture can actually be used for biogas and nutrients and fertiliser for plants. So we went up to a farm uh, up in Donegal and they had freshwater salmon and the 
the poop or the waste from the fish, they had plants growing on top of the water. So that's called aquaponics. So again, it's about just thinking about constantly how to reduce, reuse and recycle. And these farms are no different to schools. I mean, the schools have lovely examples. You know, they have constant signs on how to recycle. All the kids use reusable bottles and reusable lunchboxes. So these farms are no different. And I think it's about getting that message across. Thanks, Amy and Anya. Right. Time to enter the Ark. We're just stepping up into the Ark and it's pretty cool. It's got loads of lights and it looks a bit like a, a spaceship. Shh, there's a lesson going on. So what is the first criteria that the salmon farm needs? Deep, deep water. Deep water, okay. What is the second condition that they need? Strong currents. Lovasuis, why do they need strong currents? They need strong currents to help with the food? Exactly, okay. So all of these salmon farms, they are located in robust location with strong currents to reduce any waste buildup underneath the seabed. Third criteria. Sheltered from storms. Now what would happen to really strong storms to the farmers working in the sea pens or the pens themselves? They might like get rid of the fish. They might like die. They might damage the nets and exactly the farmers might have an accident, so we want to reduce the risk to the farmers and to the equipment used. Fourth condition. Easy to get to. Now, is that by foot? No. What's it by? That's what part of a lesson sounds like on the Ark. Let's meet some of the kids who took part and find out what they learned. My name is Naomi. I'm in sixth class. My name is Sophie. I'm in sixth class. My name is Leanne and I'm uh, in sixth class at Wales Gunlock Luclea. My name is Michael. I am in sixth class. We've learned about how to keep fish and everything safe in water when like mussels and oysters to keep them safe and be like edible because like if it's not sheltered from storms they'll all wash away and it's no use to the farmers. I've enjoyed just learning how much there is because I never really understood all of that and I didn't really know about it. The art today is all about eating fish. Do many of you eat fish at home and what types of fish do you eat? I do eat fish at home and mostly salmon. Yes, I eat fish at home, mainly salmon and prawns. I eat cod. I eat salmon, cod and maybe a bit of lemon sole. I always thought it was just from the ocean, but now I know where it actually comes from. Overall, what would be the one message that you take home or give to people from what you've learnt in the Ark today? That um, a lot of fish farming is different and there's multiple different methods. You have to keep a lot of stuff in mind when you're building all these different enclosures. Um, You have to be very careful with where you put it or it could be a complete disaster. I think it's hard on the farmers because if one mistake can, like put a lot of hardship on them and like before I thought like oh it's just getting the fish from the ocean go out and boat get the fish no it's there's pens and everything and it takes longer and it's like three years before the fish goes into its full size and you need deep waters and everything. I was surprised that they had pens because I thought they just went out and caught fish and then put it in a crate. I was really surprised by how many different factors you needed to place these pens and these different enclosures for the fish and mussels. I was surprised about the mussels, like, hanging onto the buoys and everything. I was uh, surprised how they farmed the oysters by putting them in bags and they have to shake them every few months and switch out the bags as they grow. Thanks, Naomi, Sophie, Leon and Michael from 6th Class 
in Gwelskull na Clucalia. Slán live! After a fantastic day at school, there's nothing left for me to do but visit the fish farms myself and without getting wet. Enter the virtual reality headsets. This was pretty cool, but it was really weird. Okay, so the VR headsets are 3D footage of salmon farms and mussel lines in Ireland. So it gives the children a kind of a insight into what is happening under the sea. Okay, now there's noise, it's cool. Yeah. Now, don't forget to look up, down around your shoulder. Okay, so it says I'm swimming in a salmon cage in Loch Swilly in Donegal. And there's loads of fish. There's plenty of like fish just happily swimming around, having a good time. There's nets. Ooh, there's someone over here. He's my friend. He's a diver. Hey, um, and yeah, there's loads. Wow. It's really weird because this is so realistic. Like You can look around and it's just like you're looking around. There's these mussels here on these ropes. It says I'm swimming through mussel lines in Mulroy Bay in County Donegal. And there's these mussels attached to these ropes, and they, they're just loads of them. And they look, they're just, they're just there, happy, ready to be collected for us to eat. I love mussels, they're so tasty. Oh, there's a few jellyfish. I hope they won't sting me. It's pretty cool. I have to admit, I really enjoyed our time with the Ark, but that scary virtual reality diver guy spooked me out. Fish farming is controversial and not everybody thinks it's a good idea. But we do need to think smarter about what we eat and how we got that food so as it can continue into the future. Okay, so we've just arrived at the wastewater treatment plant and the smell is quite strong. It's... um. It's not a smell that I can describe because it's not like anything I've ever smelled before. So it's uh, quite quite strong. Uh, I don't know what the smell is, so hopefully we'll find that out in our visit. The main smell comes from the stuff they fish out of the wastewater before they treat it. The first thing that happens is the water goes from a pipe through a fine grid, a bit like a sieve. And it's here that all of the things that really shouldn't be flushed get taken out. They find everything from peas and tomato seeds to plastic toys and bits of an old car tyre. But the worst offender, without a doubt, is wet wipes. Small wonder Irish water want us to think before we flush. Hi, I'm Annabelle Fitzgerald and I work in Irish water. And one of the parts of my job is working on the Think Before You Flush campaign that we operate in partnership with Clean Coasts. Think Before You Flush is really a public awareness campaign aimed at raising awareness about the issues caused by flushing the wrong things down the toilet. Now, when I say the wrong things, I'm talking about wipes, you know, wet wipes, uh, cotton bud sticks, plasters, even hair from your head. None of these things should go down the toilet. They should go in a bin. One of our very important messages of this campaign is that we should only flush the three P's down the toilet. That's pee, poo and paper. What happens if you do throw a wet wipe down the loo? Well, let me show you. So here I have a uh, jar filled with water and I'm just going to pop a wet wipe into the jar. Now, you can see that the wet wipe is totally intact. It doesn't disintegrate when it goes into the jar. Now, let me show you the same thing with a piece of toilet paper. The toilet paper has totally disintegrated. It's broken up into tiny little pieces. And that's not going to cause a problem when you flush that toilet paper down the toilet.
we get blockages in the sewer network, unfortunately, and people can even get blockages at their home. So when wet wipes and cotton bud sticks and things like that go into our pipes, they can sometimes come across some fats, oils and greases that have been poured down the kitchen sink. And when all this congeals and gathers together, we get what's known as fatbergs. And this can be a real problem. So we remove about 125 blockages a week from the sewer network. We're here today in Rings End and and here they remove about 60 tonnes of wet wipes a month from the screens. So that's a really, really big amount of wet wipes. 60 tonnes of wet wipes? That's the same weight as seven and a half elephants. So fatberg can really be any size. It can be along a length of pipe. It can be either a congealed kind of gloopy um, mass or they can become more harder and solidify a bit more and cause real, real problems for us. Well, the one I probably heard the most about is the Whitechapel monster. It was a bit fatberg that was found in the sewer in London and that was about the length of I think it's two football fields it was a really long fatberg it took a long time to be removed and I think that was the fatberg where they even did an autopsy of the fatberg to find out what was in it Um, and there is a display in a museum in London now about the fatberg so people can learn more about it and you know kind of understand why they shouldn't put the wrong things down the toilet or down the sink. Lots of things can end up uh, being put down the toilet, even nappies. Uh, Sometimes toys can get flushed down, probably by accident in in that instance. Um, But they're the kind of things that can end up in the sewer network. And I think what's really, really important and the really important message is to have a bin in your bathroom and only flush the three peas down the toilet. I know what I don't want for Christmas. My own personal fatberg. Ecolution. But there are other ways of dealing with our business. Ones that might help the water system. The Rediscovery Centre have an alternative solution. We're here at the Rediscovery Centre where I'm just about to demonstrate what happens to our wastewater in our building. So here at the Rediscovery Centre we're all about showcasing what kind of things people can do themselves and also how all these different systems work. So if you'd like to come through with me, we're just going into our plant room. So the water from our flushing toilets comes from rainwater that's harvested on a roof. This is to um, decrease the amount of mains water that's actually needed for the centre. So the rainwater is collected on the roof, comes down through pipes and goes into our toilets. And that's what's used to flush the water in the toilets. All of that water comes through a system here into our plant room. It goes through this thing called a centrifuge, which basically spins the water round and round and round incredibly fast. The solid waste, which is the poo falls into our composter which is here on site in that composter we've got lots of little worms and they munch through all that solid waste the poo and what happens at the end after a few months all of that then gets put through a big composting unit which makes it really safe and kills any harmful bacteria and germs and things like that then it can be used as compost to help the plants in our garden grow the liquid waste when it goes through that big spinner thing the centrifuge all of that liquid waste then goes through our reed bed system Out here, we've got our reed bed system. As you can see, it doesn't take up that much space, which is great. We've got a big uh, concrete tank, which is where the waste liquid water from the toilets gets pumped up. 
Then, as you can see, it falls using gravity through a gravel and sand system, which we ha- which has reeds growing in it as well, which take up some of the goodness from all that uh, wastewater. Then it comes down here through this flat area, and you can see just how healthy the plants are doing. So they're getting lots and lots of nutrients from um, all of that wastewater. And as it's going through, all that water is also being cleaned. So by the time it gets to our pond down the end, the water is a lot cleaner than it would be. And then when it leaves our site, it's pretty much very good quality water. And it means that in the waste treatment in Ringsend, it means there's not so much waste that that has to go through. So if everyone in Ireland was doing this, it would actually make the water systems in Ireland so much cleaner and mean that a lot less water pollution ends up in our rivers, lakes, streams and also our oceans. Excellent. So, Dr Shane, no doubt you have thoughts on water. Ready, set, Go! Okay, well, water is really important. I mean, our bodies alone are made up of over 70% water. Most of what we do involves water. We wash and we clean and we drink water. Most of the food we eat is made up of water. But the cool thing about water is that even though it's a challenge and that we think we have less of it in many parts of the world, we actually don't. The planet itself has the same amount of water it has had for millions, if not billions of years. And we're not even sure where that came from. We think that it maybe came from asteroids hitting the Earth that were made of ice and that's where it came from. It certainly wasn't created here on the planet. So that's a mystery that you guys have to go and solve yourselves. In Ireland at the moment, there's a lot of talk about water and how we control it and where it comes from and who has access to it and maybe we need to pay for it. The example I would use of this, I did a journey to the Middle East where I went to a country called Jordan and a particular city in the middle of the desert called Petra. And it's very, very old. And about two, three thousand years ago, there was a group of people there called the Nabataeans. And they lived there in the middle of the desert and it only rained for two or three days a year, but they were able to survive. Tens of thousands of people in the middle of the desert with that amount of water. And the way they did that was because they were smart with it. They were able to control the water and store it when it did fall and then slowly release it. They had piped water to every single house in that city. And it was pressurised too, just like we have in Ireland nowadays. But that was 2,000 years ago. Now, most people think the Romans were really, really great with their water and they had pipes and baths and amazing other stuff like that. They actually learnt it from the Nabataeans. So maybe in Ireland, when we're talking about controlling our water better and reducing its waste and using it more wisely, we should not think about modern solutions, but we should actually think about the past and how they did it in these desert cities in the middle of nowhere. And it only rained for a couple of days a year, but they still had enough water for the entire year. The rainforests are understandably at the front of any thinking we do about our environment. The work they do is vital. They are air movers that warm and circulate air around the world. They are sun reflectors, bouncing the UV rays off the white clouds that cover them. And the thing spoken about most is their role as carbon catchers. They suck up the carbon we generate and store it as they grow. But they're not on their own in doing this work. Did you know that plankton in the sea, whilst being at the very bottom of the food chain and super important as a source of fish food, is also vital in catching carbon? It's thought that it does up to half of the work of keeping our air clean. And plankton, like all the other marine life, is under threat from us humans. Our oceans are no doubt in trouble. It's thought that if we continue as we have been, by 2050 there will be more plastic in the ocean than fish. But there is hope. Individuals and companies are all working towards cleaning up our seas. Boynslat, 
a young Dutch scientist, first showed off his plan to clean up the ocean when he was only 18. He proposed a huge net that captured the plastic above and below the surface in its arm. The first target was the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, a vast island of rubbish. Researchers from the Ocean Cleanup Project claimed that the patch covers 1.6 million square kilometres. That's the same size as the country of Iran. In October 2019, Boyan and his company announced that the device is catching plastics from one-ton ghost nets to tiny microplastics. This could be amazing news for us and all marine life. Go, Boyan! Although discarded fishing nets are a problem in ocean waste in some parts of the world, Irish fishermen are booking the trend. Hundreds of trawlers have signed up to use their ships to capture ocean plastic, bring it back to the shore and ensure it is recycled properly. Boris Gawara think it's something worth singing about. This is the sea shanty written by the Eskies. We set ourselves to work, me lads, before the break of day. Eat that plastic up, me boys, we'll haul that plastic out. Yeah, my name is John Lynch and I'm a fisherman. I work out of, out of Hoth Harbour and we have a, a, a fishing boat, a trawler in Hoth Harbour called Diablana. Been fishing for generations. I mean, I personally been fishing for over 30 years. It's not a hard life if you're reared into it, you know, like we are. So we, we wouldn't consider it hard. Whereas it, it would appear hard from the outside. It's time to make a difference now. It's time to lead the way. Heave that plastic up, me girls. We'll haul that plastic out. I'll explain to you where the Fishing for Plastic campaign started on this boat. When I started fishing 35 years ago or so, I came home one weekend and my mother said, What do you do with the rubbish on the boat? Ah, we throw it out. I hope you're not throwing it into the sea. No, Mammy, we're not throwing it into the sea. So from then on, nothing went into the sea. On our boat. She, she made sure there were rolls of black bags in the food, with the food delivery every weekend, and all the rubbish was brought ashore. What we didn't bring in was rubbish that we picked up in the net that was other people's rubbish. And then... Maybe 20 years ago, 15 to 20 years, we started bringing in other people's rubbish. Hi, my name is Catherine Barrett and I work with BIM on the Fishing for Litter programme. Fishing for Litter is part of Ireland's Clean Oceans, where we are helping to retrieve marine litter from the sea. So back in uh, 2015, uh, a number of fishermen came to BIM and said that they're finding a lot of litter and they'd like to bring it ashore but we want to put a structure in place so that all the boats can do it in various ports around the country. The support has been amazing because fishermen, they they want to have a clean sea. They want to be able to catch their fish without marine litter. So we are now in 12 ports around the country and if if a vessel leaves one port and goes to another, he knows that he can put his own waste ashore and any marine litter he finds. And that's right around the country. 300 tonnes and more we've hauled cleaning up the waters. Heave that plastic up, me boys, we'll haul that plastic out. You pick it up in the trawl with the fish. You know, if, you're, if rubbish is on the bottom of the sea, we'd pick it up. Well, of our own rubbish, say we're out for two days or three days, we'd have a bag. And usually then we'd have one, two, and sometimes more of rubbish that we pick up in the trawl. I, I have no idea the exact quantity, but we, we brought in tons, tons of waste over the, over the last number of years. We found old, what we call retro litter. So it might be 20 years old, 30 years old, um, because plastic takes a long time to decompose maybe hundreds of years so 
we will find plastics that you know sounds really old at 30 but they're actually you know it takes a long time you have to recycle them they don't break down usually just well not strange things but say unusual things was um, bicycles motorbikes prams shopping trolleys Christmas trees and one time we got a Christmas tree with the decorations on it. We work with the waste contractors to identify what can be recycled or what can go for maybe heat recovery. The last five to six years we, we've seen less less rubbish being collected in the trawl. We're fishing further out now so that could be a factor of it as well you know but it's, it's definitely that we're picking up less. We do it for the future for our sons and for our daughters Keep that plastic up me girls we'll haul that plastic out All the things that BIM does is helping to protect that life below water. We have a smart net project where we're helping fishermen to, uh, to recycle all of their gear properly so traditionally, fishermen, they'd catch fish and they'd bring it ashore and you'd either have fish and chips or you'd have fish fingers. But now we all have to think more about what else we need to be responsible for. And now plastics is a big part of that. It's really a great idea because you've all these vessels all over Ireland, all over Europe, towing around the ocean every day of the week. And I mean, if they bring in what they pick up, it's got to be a good you know, it's a good contribution to, to reducing the, the level of plastic in the ocean. It's not very hard to do. We're supplied with the bags for the recycled stuff from BIM, so it's not, don't know, there's no weight on you to pick stuff up off the deck and put it into a bag. And fishermen are bringing the, the waste ashore now and having it um, disposed of and recycled properly because they now see that it's the right thing to do. We'll haul that plastic uh, so good to know that more grown-ups are making the changes we need just like us we might not have the same power but we do have a voice so start talking to your parents your teachers and your friends and you can make a difference too our next program will show just how much kids are making a difference next up is our action episode was produced by Nicky Coughlin for Forty Junior Radio. Most of the material recorded for this podcast was gathered on a bike. 